So we're reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, fourth canto, fourth chapter. Text number 25, Sati quits her body. Kritva samano anilao jitasana. Kritva samana vanilo jitasana. Sudanam utapyachana vichakrata. Sudana muttapya uttapya chanavi chakrita. Sana iridi stapya diruyasistitam. Sana iridi stapya diurasistitam. Kantad bruvor madhyam anindit. Kantad Bruvor Madhyamaninditanayat Kritva Samana Vanilo Jitasana Sudana Mutapya Chanavichakrita 
Shanairidistapyadiorasistitam Kantad Bruborimaniditanayat Vitvasamano Anilajitasana Sudana Mutapyachana Vichatuta Sudhanamuttapyacchanavichakrita Sudhana Muttapya Chanavi Chakrita Kritva After placing Samanao in equilibrium Anilao the Prana and the Apana Jita Asana, having control the sitting posture. Sa, Sati, Udanam, the life air. Utapya, raising. Cha, and Nabi Chakrata, at the circle in the navel. Shanai, gradually. Ridi, in the heart, stapya, placing, diya, with the intelligence, urasi. I can't see because I don't have glasses. Is there a long A in urasi? I don't think so. Huh? Short A? Urasi then. Toward the pulmonary passage. Thank you. Stitam, having been placed. Kantat, through the throat, Bhuvo, of the eyebrows, Madhyam, to the middle, Anindita, the blameless Sati, Anayat, raised, translation and purple by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. First of all, she sat in the required sitting posture. And then she carried the life air upwards and placed it in the position of equilibrium near the navel. Then she raised her life air, mixed with intelligence, to the heart and then gradually towards the pulmonary passage and from there to between her eyebrows. Purport. 
The yogic process is to control the air passing within the body in different places called Sat Chakra, the six circles of air circulation. The air is raised from the abdomen to the navel, from the navel to the heart, from the heart to the throat, from the throat to between the eyebrows, and from between the eyebrows to the top of the cerebrum. That is the sum and substance of practicing yoga. Before practicing the real yoga system, one has to practice a sitting postures because this helps in the breathing exercises which control the airs going upwards and downwards. This is a great technique which one has to practice to attain the highest perfectional stage of yoga, but such practice is not meant for this age. No one in this age can attain the perfectional stage of such yoga, but people indulge in practicing sitting postures which is more or less a gymnastic process. By such bodily gymnastics, one may develop good circulation and may therefore keep one's body fit. But if one simply restricts oneself to that gymnastic process, one cannot attain the highest perfectional stage. The yoga process as described in the Keshava Shruti prescribes how one can control his living force according to his desire and transmigrate from one body to another or from one place to another. In other words, yoga practice is not meant to keep the body fit. Any transcendental process of spiritual realization automatically helps one to keep the body fit, for it is the spirit soul that keeps the body always fresh. As soon as the spirit soul is out of the body, the material body immediately begins to decompose. Any spiritual process keeps the body fit without separate endeavor. But if one takes it that the ultimate aim of yoga is to maintain the body, then he is mistaken. The real perfection of yoga is elevation of the soul to a higher position or the liberation of the soul from material entanglement. Some yogis try to elevate the soul to higher planetary systems, for the standard of life is different from that on this of this planet and where the material comforts, lifespan, and other facilities of, for self-realization are greater. And some yogis endeavor to elevate the soul to the spiritual world, the spiritual Vaikuntha planets. The Bhakti Yoga process directly elevates the soul to the spiritual planets, where life is eternally blissful and full of knowledge. Therefore, Bhakti Yoga is considered to be the greatest of all yoga systems. Om again to the Dangrasya, Gimantana, Shalakaya, Chapsuda Meditam, Jena, Tasmai, Shri Gurave, Namaha, Nakam Karoti Vachalam, Tandem Gangayati, Vinayat Kipatamaham, Vande, Shivirim Vinataranam, Paramananda Maharavam, Shri Chaitanya Nishwaram. So we see that Prabhupada is very adamant, if we can say, here in the purport, where he describes the technique and the consequences of yoga, which is to basically move the life airs, merge the life airs, and eventually just burst through the top of the brahmarandram, on top of the head, and let the soul go to whatever destination the, uh, the yogi wants to attain. And Prabhupada is I don't think Prabhupada knew the popularity that yoga will gain uh, 50 years after he wrote this. Um, about 40, 45 years maybe? Yeah, 
45 to 50 years after he wrote this, uh, but you can see, I don't know, here in Colorado, I haven't walked very much and because of COVID, but in LA, uh, probably three out of 10 people carry yoga mat under their arm, wherever they walk. This is, this, yeah? And turmeric, yes. <laughs> and, a, and a ginger lemon drink as well. So this is, this is the modern society. Yoga has become uh, a fad, a good one. You know, it's, I would say, is a, uh, the Indian calisthenics tailored for the Western, where, where you can actually get your body fit, you can stand in uh, unusual positions. And it is actually very healthy. Prabhupada once was, uh, I think he was in Mexico, in, in a park, may have been somewhere else, where he saw someone doing, uh, doing a headstand. Yeah. Huh? In Hawaii? It's, yeah, it's possible, Hawaii. And Prabhupada says, Shirshasana. Like, that's, that's the asana for, you know, when you stand on your head. Very good, very healthy. And the devotees immediately jump on it. So probably we, we should do this? Probably said, not necessary. It was just like that. It's, it's healthy, but it's unnecessary. Unless you do it with the purpose of improving your health so you can practice bhakti yoga. Now this is, uh, and also the, uh, the chakras are mentioned here chakras, the centers of the, the, where the airs move through. And I couldn't find this quote, but I heard it. I heard it a long time ago that someone mentioned the, the chakras to Prabhupada and Prabhupada said, if you cut the head open, you see no chakra there. So this is, the chakras are more or less symbolic of where, where the centers, where the air is. So this is uh, Sati, who obviously she, being an expansion of the superintendent of the material world, knew all these techniques and immediately got into the yoga, yogic posture and moved her airs at will. And eventually she produced tremendous amount of heat from within her body and burst into flames. This is you know, spontaneous combustion, but this was voluntary, willingly, and then left. But Prabhupada made, made it clear she didn't take a spiritual body, she just replaced the material body. And this is what the yogis can do. They can go from one body to the next, but they cannot attain the spiritual world by means of physical feats or extraordinary mystical feats. This, this has a ceiling, all these, all these techniques, they do have a ceiling. You can't go past a certain point. So the spiritual world is, it's like someone comes, you know, knocks on your door and says, you know, I can fix your, I can fix your room, your, your, uh, your chimney, if it's clogged up, I can, the roof, I can change the fence, 
friends, I can mow your lawn, I can do this and that, and I can change the plumbing, I can replace your toilet, I can do this, I can do that. Yes, yes, and you can allow them in, but they, they're not allowed to live there. They're simply coming and doing something at your house. So all these different processes of yoga uh, allow you to get a view of a, a, of, of a better place. Probably the person who is replacing the roof on your home doesn't have a home as nice as yours. Someone who cleans the chimney and so on. So this is, this is what the yogis do. They go to a better place, but they cannot go to the spiritual world by means of just yoga. Uh, there are some yogas, yogis that can attain the spiritual planets by meditating on Paramatma. But this is not the process that is described here. Here is simply Sati, who was very upset. Um, she has a certain nature, and uh, she, she was very dear to Lord Shiva. She didn't consider that. Lord Shiva allowed her to sit on his lap. That's a sign of affection. And uh, spoke very gentle words very affectionate words to her and explained to her what the situation was. She didn't, she didn't pay heed to that. She, her mind was made up that uh, because she could not kill her father for being an offender, uh, she decided, well, at least I will not have a, a connection with you anymore. My only connection right now, because affection is gone, uh, is familial of this body, so therefore I'll give up this body and I'll have no more relationships with you. This is, this is the end for our relationship. And because she was, she was a, a great yogini, she was able to take another body, being born out of Menaka and Parvati, the daughter of the Himalayas. And because she has a perennial relationship with Lord Shiva, she was able to marry Lord Shiva again. incentive for romanticism that people say oh we are we, we have been we are souls soulmates we've been together forever and we'll continue like John Lennon and Yoko Ono uh, they, this is the question that they asked Srila Prabhupada if, uh, can, we, can we be together again and Prabhupada said no <laughs> he could have said I mean how would they know Prabhupada could have said yes of course and gain uh, cheap popularity and, and adoration and they would have been totally dependent on his advice because he said yes we can be together forever and this is what the cheap cheap gurus do they, they just aim to please they say whatever people want to hear but Prabhupada had nothing nothing to do with that so when they asked can we be we, we feel like we have been together forever. Can we continue to be? And Prabhupada said, no. <laughs> no. Not at all. It's because this is what family life is like. This is what familial relationships are like. Prabhupada compared them to waves in the ocean just beating against each other and creating some foam. And that's the family. And when the waves go in the different opposite directions, or even the same direction, the foam is no longer there. So. This is what family is like. 
with devotees it happens differently because we are actually regaining our memory of who our real family is. So we can, can we live together forever? Yes, we can. Um, in the same shape, with the same idiosyncrasies and characteristics? Hopefully not. But we will we'll be together as a family, but uh, we get the purified version of ourselves. So do not worry, it's not gonna happen eternally in the same way that is happening right now. So all the, all the dynamic um, impediments and difficulties that we are struggling with now and having to tolerate each other are not gonna be there. They're just gonna be in, in our, at our best. That's, that's what happens in the spiritual world. So this is, this is why this, this is a personalistic philosophy where um, it's, it's always like that. If Krishna is a person, we are persons, everything, everyone is a person. And they all have different quirks and characteristics and desires and tendencies. And some are pure and some are impure. So when, when you get rid of your impure characteristics and desires, then you're able to gain access to the spiritual world. Because Krishna is, Krishna is very selective. I mean, he loves everybody, but he doesn't allow everybody to live in his house. Exactly, you know, just until they are completely pure. So you can't bring all this little weird stuff that you've been accumulating for lifetime after lifetime. This, this stuff has to stay outside. You know, until you give it up, you can go inside the house. You have to just live in a fixed tent in one of the many empty spots in the material world. And what will happen if the material world empties out? Everybody realizes I'm a spiritual soul, I'm, I'm a loving servant of Krishna. Um, it will fill up again. That's what will happen. There is no dearth of uh, volunteers to come and spend time in the material world. Just like you know, you build a new city and you build a prison in the city. Why? There's, no, there's nobody there. Yeah, and people are gonna come, and you can select them from any from any walk of life, and they will be crying. They will be crying because we have this innate, as soon as we acquire a material body, we have these tendencies that are there, pushing and pulling in every direction. We commit mistakes, we, our senses are imperfect, have a tendency to cheat. These, these things don't go away easily. So we may do it more subtly or more intelligently, um, more deviantly than others, but these things are there and they need to be controlled because they, they are there, even for devotees. Devotees go to the prasadam line and they want to cut in line. They want, they see the pakora trade and they want to take the bigger one. This is even, even simple, silly stuff like that. You know, we, our tendencies will pop up. So we have to be very careful to control them because these things are binding all these tendencies. Like the yogis, they have selfish desires. They, they're not pure, so they want something. Of course, Dhruva Maharaj, who 
practice yoga for a while, he, he changed his mind. But he changed his mind because he saw the result. Because he saw that Narayan himself, Vishnu, showed up. And compared to Vishnu, there was nothing that he could wish that was even remotely comparable. So he, he gave up on that idea. But um, most people, yogis or otherwise, they don't have that choice. They don't have Lord Vishnu to show up and say, okay, do you want Maya or do you want me? We have to actually make the inference by ourselves without Vishnu's direct intervention. So uh, unless you're purified, and then you can see Vishnu within your heart and within the heart of others. So because Krishna is within the heart of every living entity, not just you and me and this guy and that guy. Krishna is within everyone's heart. So if you're able to see that, then giving up material desires is very easy. Yeah, there's no comparison. It's just you, you have no desire for anything else that is satisfying. And, and there is an ecstasy. You, you, you will, we will see in the, towards the end of the chapter, Sri Prabhupada speaks about, about that, that ecstasy of Samadhi that takes away the desire for any other thing. This is, uh, but Sati wasn't exactly thinking like that. She was on the platform of this uh, family life is awful. This this man is is an aparadi and happens to be my father. And I have some affection for for my my other relatives, but the hell with all of that. if they are associated with, with Daksha. And Daksha, who thought himself, uh, well, he's named as an expert, but basically he was a stud, an expert in procreation. It's, it's like having, uh, it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe nowadays people are proud of that. Maybe Daksha was very proud of being able to have hundreds and thousands of children. But that kind of expertise is uh, certainly going to bind you to the material world. It's going to create more and more progeny. Krishna is very kind. He's very merciful. Because at the time of death, uh, we... People ask, actually, why is that if we had a past life, we can't remember it? And uh, they, they see that as an, a, an argument against transmigration and reincarnation. But I, uh, I don't think we should see it that way. Actually, it's Krishna's mercy that we can remember that. Because if you do remember, at the time of death, basically, you have to be so detached from everything that happened during this lifetime. So imagine if by the time of death, you remember your last 10,000 lives. You know, all those broken-hearted moments that you had and all that those attachment and affection you had for all your family members, for your friends, for all the places where you've been, for all the houses that you had, for all the books that you read and music that you heard. This will be a, a nightmare. You'll never get out of the material world if you actually 
contemplate severe um, volumes of attachment. So we can only remember one life to initiate, and that's by Krishna's grace. And if we can forget about that one material life, that is even better. Because at the time of death, you can't take any, any of that with you. The only thing you can take is um, the impetus to go back to your real home, which is in the spiritual world with Krishna and with the devotees. So Sati didn't, didn't have that opportunity. She was very expert, too. Uh, at controlling the life airs and moving them and pushing them towards the top of her head and leaving it and taking another body according to her specifications. But it's still a material body. You still have to stick around. And, and this, is a, this is a world that comes to an end. There is a material uh, an annihilation, a dissolution of the material world. And when it comes to that point, nobody is safe. Uh, I mean, Lord Shiva is Lord Shiva gets uh, exempted from annihilation, but everybody else gets, those who are left, they, they get thrown into the Mahakatva and put into rinse cycle and you know, back out into the streets. So I'll stop here, 8.43, and ask for comments and realizations and reflections. I forgot to ask for blessings from you. I, I was hoping it was implicit into, into just sitting here in front of all of you and the internet viewers. Uh, and I hope what I said made sense and inspired you to present your own views. So, any comments, questions? That the other one is charging, so you may have to take this one. Um, okay. And then, uh, but, but it is kind of a ludicrous kind of argument like you brought up because I mean, even within this life, traumatic experiences can com completely be suppressed. People can have intense traumas and like uh, disastrous events and then they suppress all those memories because they wouldn't be able to process in, in normal daily life. What to speak of if they remember those traumas, how they're inhibited from actually functioning as a as a human being, so what to speak of extra life, like one extra life, what to speak of 10,000. Um, and then the other, the question I had was, in the purport, Prabhupada said <clears throat> that, you know, he was talking about yoga is good for physical health and that it can increase blood circulation, but, um, but it's not necessarily necessary, it's necessary, and that um, <clears throat> actually exercise isn't necessary because it's a spirit soul that keeps the body fresh. Um, so I'm wondering how to understand that, especially because Prabhupada was a person that would take walks and would, you know, take Ayurvedic medicine things. Like that. So how can we understand that? That seems confusing or contradicting. 
Thank you, Prabhu. That was a very fair question. Because we had a poor start, let's say, at least before my generation, that we, we didn't have a proper diet and uh, lifestyle. The, in my generation, I, it's hard to find someone who hasn't taken drugs or hasn't eaten terrible food. Maybe nowadays people are you know, born to a keto diet or you know, with, with already a, a yoga mat as a birth, you know, first birth present, first birthday present. But we actually may need all these uh, improvements or to, to maintain the body. So I think exercise is absolutely necessary. If your heart doesn't beat 150, 160 beats per minute for at least 20 minutes twice a week, then you will actually weaken and you will have trouble. You'll trouble with circulation and so on. Maybe for those who practice yoga or have a better lifestyle, that's not necessary. But for us, for our generation, for our I think exercise and diet are crucial, crucial, because um, your your memory will go, your physical strength will go, your stamina will go, even your your desire to continue. You can see that people just decay and they they lose the will to continue living. So yes, if you are if you are transcendental. Krishna will take care of your maintenance. You know, we'll, we probably could stop eating and breathing and you'll be fine. But up until you get to that stage, I think we do need to take care of our bodies because the, is, the body is hosting the soul and the super soul. So you have to maintain it in a, in a proper way in order to, uh, the purpose is to keep body and soul together. So how do you keep them together? If the body is not healthy, the, the soul wants to go somewhere else. Is that okay? Any other? Yeah, Prabhu. Yeah, sure. Also from the same text of Sri Yashopanishad, from yesterday. Um, <clears throat> oh, hopefully I can find it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a point where Prabhupada is mentioning that he says, just a second. Yeah, so it's he's describing about how when one progresses in spiritual life, as proportionately how one progresses, then the need for the maintenance of the body goes down. And uh, kind of, I was reminded when you were sharing about that, and we see, like, you know, the Goswamis, they could just eat like, you know, just a little buttermilk or something. And the body was maintained basically, and they would probably, they would practically not even sleep, and the body was maintained because of the potency of the soul 
but um, Prabhupada is saying one must perform these two different functions. He's talking about the material and spiritual duties along parallel lines because a conditioned soul cannot give up the maintenance of his body. The proportion of activities for maintenance of the body decreases, however, in proportion to the increase in devotional service. As long as the proportion of devotional service does not come to the right point, there is a chance for occasional exhibition of worldliness. It's along the lines of um, like falling down and things like that. But it should be noted that such worldliness cannot continue for long because by the grace of the Lord, such imperfections will come to an end very shortly. recreation but not too much not getting absorbed or completely rejecting it as this, this is this is Maya and it will it will make me fall down now actually if you if you go to one or other extreme you you may have trouble finding the center so you should keep yourself a moderate person um, eat what's necessary not too much if you eat uh, if you're if you're not relishing what you eat, you know you put too much on your plate, then you should stop at a certain point and not eat that. Just save it for later, or you know compost it, or do something with it, because overeating is a cause of diseases. Anyway, there's a lot like that. something. In that chapter that you're referencing, it's uh, the one chapter in Bhagavad Gita that Krishna elaborates quite a disciplined um, thread of verses as far as the yoga system. Sit with the back straight, eyes at the tip of the nose, celibacy, secluded. And within that same chapter, then he also says, uh, if one is moderate in their eating, sleeping, recreation, from this process of yoga. So within that chapter, of all the rigid description of the yoga system, there's that verse of moderation that you're referencing. The point I was thinking too is the lifestyle, the, the cultural context, which we can still apply today if we're a little self-disciplined and we don't give in to too much of modern amenities. Uh, but if we observe the lifestyle of the Goswamis, they walked, some of them walked 14 to 28 miles a day doing parikram. So that's already there. They, they were, they probably would humble a lot of so-called morning walkers uh, in the cities and then they also um, people are, are uh, people will become proud if they can do 20 30 40 push-ups they were doing dandavats you, we hear it some of one of uh, Raghunadas Goswami would offer a thousand or two thousand that's like doing like a Surya Namaskar two thousand times practically how they go you know for those who've gone to Govardhan and you see those yogis they're they're not, those, those bhaktas, those sadhus, they're not like ripped like athletes that we think of, but they're, you just see they're so toned and healthy. But they're not thinking, do I have a six-pack and how are my biceps? And, and, and it's interesting. I was just watching a documentary. Just, you know, sometimes I keep up on what's happening. They're even saying now this whole thing of getting like a six-pack isn't good because then your breathing doesn't go well. So it's better to focus on your pranayama which then will give you strength to be a good athlete. So anyways, they're, 
you know, they're getting into like, make sure you have your turmeric every day and you do this kind of breathing exercise. And they're so fascinated by that. And I was thinking from what you're reading in, in our Bhagavatam, when we see like Dhruva Maharaj or Lord Shiva, Kardama Muni, um, we see externally their yogic prowess was just incredible, the type of discipline that they did physically and mentally. But yet when we, as bhaktas, when we remember them, we don't think of Dhruva Maharaj as, oh yeah, he was able to stand on one leg and his toe could press the earth and he did this amazing pranayam and he ate, only, he ate leaves, grass, and then just lived on air. When we think of him, we think of, oh, he just he took darshan of Krishna and just wanted to surrender. We think of their sharnagati, their bhakti, their, um, yeah, their devotional qualities, even though they did all those external things. Uh, whereas it seems like today the fascination is like, you know, spending hours talking about the breath and how to hold it and how to release it and, you know, how to eat turmeric what part of the day. And these personalities in the Bhagavatam, they did that times a million. And yet what we're really fascinated is their, their prayers, Lord Shiva's prayers to Krishna and um, <clears throat> their mood of devotion. So I was just thinking how fortunate we are to be able to appreciate the essence of these personalities and not get too intrigued by the, uh, yeah, as Prabhupada said, the, the kind of the, the gymnastics of it. And it was nice, I appreciated how you said too, yeah, for proper health, we, we, we uh, do some recreation. And uh, yeah, if, we're if we do what the Goswamis did, regularly offering obeisances, dancing in kirtan, taking long walks, I mean, 28 miles a day, twice a day, that's a lot of exercise. <laughs> and so, of course, as you said, they're nitya siddhas, um, they're, we, they're not on our platform, and at the same time, um, in relationship to their lifestyle, they did, they were moving around. They were, you know, when they answered the call of nature, they squatted, <laughs> they weren't standing, and uh, they, they, they did just, the lifestyle was so conducive to, to, good, to, to good health, fresh food. There was no freezer, there was no refrigerator, they, they would just cook and eat fresh, even if it was just buttermilk. So, anyways, just a few thoughts. I was just, I thought about this when the Prabhu asked the question, <clears throat> but um, there's a purport, I think in somewhere in Srimad Bhagavatam, Srila Prabhupada says that usually Krishna consciousness and something to the effect that usually Krishna consciousness and good health go together. Sometimes it, he said that it doesn't, but usually they go together. So kind of what you were explaining about yeah, doing dandavats, or just like, you know, we know we need to, um, the morning best time to automatically go to sleep early, rise early, things like that. We, are, we get turmeric it's just because we eat the didi, the didi prasad. <laughs> I think um, hopefully we'll come to a to an agreement that Krishna consciousness is uh, a lot of common sense. It's, it's, we're not gonna get very far. So just just be modest in your. I mean, shoot for the moon if you want, but try try to understand that we are very small, and um, if you are able to follow the sarana and and the program. They are not doing that, and they should be. Mother Nidra.
one of his servants used to live here for a little while, Nandu Kumar Prabhu. So he was telling me how uh, Prabhupada encouraged him to do yoga because he, he was doing yoga and yoga helped him. So Prabhupada encouraged him to do it. Uh, maybe didn't encourage others, but he definitely encouraged him to do it. And then uh, <laughs> he, he said uh, Nanda Kumar liked his raw diet. He liked the raw diet. And Prabhupada said, actually, you know, for yogis, for anybody, he said, raw, raw is really best. But if we say like that, then they won't come. <laughs> so, so uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he just, he said that Prabhupada encouraged him, and, um, but didn't broadcast, you know, to everybody else, yeah, you know, raw diet, do your yoga. <laughs> he, he, he was, you know, like you said, with the common sense, you advise everybody and you do what you need to do. <laughs> So it was interesting. He he had a lot of um, interactions with Prabhupada about diet, yoga, and different, you know, so-called new age things. I can't read it if I can't see oh, yeah. it. <laughs> and it says, um, I think it's important to add to what's already been said today that Sati is Durga Devi. And as Srila Prabhupada explained in the previous purport, she can destroy thousands of universes and thousands of dakshas. We have to remember she is a highly elevated personality, a demigod engaged in a very essential duty and service. Not that she is the lady who didn't listen to her husband and blasted her father. Prabhupada also uh, told Ridhananda Maharaj, if you eat what you like, you will be healthy. Now, that was a very personal instruction. It's no good for anybody else, I think. No, for very few people, because uh, if if you tell that to some devotees, they will eat pizza and donuts, you know, three times a day, and and they will be very sick eventually. They will they will grow old and prematurely, and they will be fat and unable to move very well, and have diabetes or whatever else comes comes with this diet. So yeah, Prabhupada, um, privately, he he gave instructions to different people according to their constitution and to their desires and it may not apply for us if we but we all have to actually follow the same routine that uh, do our sadhana eat healthily be clean this is uh, emphasized in the ayurvedic system that the three causes of disease are poor hygiene poor digestion and stress these are the three causes of disease. So if you take care of being clean inside and out, not that you take three showers a day and your house is a mess and you eat unhealthily, you, and, and poor digestion, then digestion is a, 
will actually mess up more than just your uh, stomach and intestines. So make sure you can you can digest what you can eat, what you eat. Not that it's beautiful to look at and smells good and tastes good, but it's bad for you. Something you cannot process properly. And try to avoid avoid stress, not just by giving it to others like I do, but by having a better lifestyle, more conducive towards spiritual thoughts and practices. Okay, 907, thank you very much. All glories to Srila Prabhupada, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.